So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'd like you to come to verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. And he's talking about King Saul here who has just been rejected as king uh, by God and Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. And that's God speaking through Samuel uh, to those who were gathered at this occasion uh, where um, David is going to be anointed as king. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this will be the focus of our reflections this morning. So verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David Samuel then went to Ramah. Story time from Papa Barker. (laughs) As Jesse stood up from tying what seemed to be his thousandth sheaf, he saw him. Down the road, there was coming a lone man, snowy white hair, flowing beard, leading a calf. And in an instant, Jesse knew who this man was. What was the famous, fierce, and dangerous prophet Samuel doing coming to his village, Bethlehem? What had happened? What had they done wrong or right? Jesse turned and walked briskly to the village. The other elders had already gathered The news had spread quickly. Samuel is coming to town, and he is leading a calf. The silence was ominous as the prophet walked through the village to the central square. He sat on a bench beside the well, and hesitantly and carefully, the elders as a group approached. Yaakov, the head elder, spoke, Shalom, Nevi Samuel. Samuel returned the greeting, Shalom, Aleka. And then from Yaakov, do you come in peace? Shalom, yes, in peace I have come, Samuel replied. I have come to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, the prophet went on. Prepare yourselves for the ceremony. Quickly the group dispersed to return to their homes to perform their preparatory rituals. A service of worship to God, the prophet Samuel here personally, this was huge. But as Jesse turned to go, Samuel called quietly, Jesse, come here. Yes, Master. I'm coming with you to your house. Yes, Master. What was this all about? As the two walked together, Samuel said, gather your sons. I'm here for another purpose. Uh, Yes, Master. Why are you really here? I'm here to choose a new king for Judah. The sacrifice is a camouflage in case Saul hears about it. God told me to do it this way. Jesse was dumbfounded. What is going on? 
He knew that their present king, Saul, son of Kish, was not doing well. He had heard that Samuel was pretty ticked at him, but a, but a new king and from one of his sons? Oh, God, what are you doing? Just when Jesse and his family had gathered at the house, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel performed a little ceremony of consecration, but only Jesse knew what the real purpose was about all of this. Back to the village center they went. An altar had been built and was burning, and the sacrificial calf stood quietly tied to a tree. In front of the villagers, elders, and the family of Jesse, Samuel quickly and deftly slaughtered the calf, skinned it, and laid the carcass on the flames. The blood was carefully poured and sprinkled on, and around the altar, the smell of burning flesh and smoke filled the air. Then Samuel gave Jesse the nod. Jesse quickly whispered to his oldest son, Eliav, go stand in front of Samuel. Somewhat confused, Eliav stood in front of the frightening prophet. Eliav was tall, handsome, strong, a born leader, firstborn child. This one's a lock, Jesse thought. Samuel looked him over. He thought to himself, oh, yeah, this is the one. He bowed his head. But when he looked up, he shook his head slowly and then turned to Jesse. No, not this one. Bring another son. Jesse was dumbfounded. What do you mean, not the one? He is first. He is the head son. He's the priest of the family. In a daze, Jesse touched the arm of Abinadab, his second son, he took his turn in front of Samuel, and again, the seeming sense of satisfaction, the head bowed in prayer, and then the shake of the head, rejection number two. Jesse, another son, please. This time it was Shammah who stood before Samuel. The same ritual, another rejection. For all seven sons, the process and conclusion was the same. All good, solid, healthy, intelligent men, all rejected. Jesse was mortified. What was Samuel after? What was this little ritual? And Samuel was speaking to him, and he seemed confused. Jesse, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, master, yes, I do. I have a katon, a little one, their baby brother. He's out in the pasture looking after the sheep. He's number eight of seven. Oops. Surely not David thought, Jesse thought. Surely not David, Jesse thought. It's just a kid. This is not the way we work. We're after a king here. We need the biggest, the best, the one with charisma. That had been their choice in Saul. Oh, sure, he'd gotten off the rails with God, but this is what the other nations had all around them. How could they hold their own with the Philistines and, and Canaanites without this kind of king? We needed a king like they have. David, a child, Katong, a little one, the runt. David's voice penetrated his reverie. Go get him. We will not sit down until he comes. Jesse called over a young boy and whispered, go find David. You stay and look after the sheep. The boy ran off. They waited. Finally, David came and stood before Samuel. Yes, a youth. Yeah, good looking and strong. And again, the survey with the eyes and the head bowed in prayer. But this time when Samuel looked up, he put his hand on David's shoulder and the boy sank to his knees. From the folds of his cloak, Samuel took out a ram's horn of olive oil in front of the wide-eyed circle of people gathered around there. 
including a father, mothers, elders, seven rejected sons. He poured the oil on David's head and shoulders and quietly announced, Behold the king of Judah. Everyone was thunderstruck. So that's what this was. A coronation and anointing as king. Can you believe it? Eliab and all the others are rejected. Further, King Saul, our choice, rejected. And now this, David, you got to be kidding. Anointed king? Samuel picked up his things to leave. Jesse touched his arm and pulled him aside. What just happened here? Why David? Why not Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, or the others? And Samuel said, this is what God said to me. I do not look on the things people normally look at. Appearance, height. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And with that, Samuel disappeared back up the road from which he had come. We all love stories, don't we? And it's interesting because much of the Bible is story. I enjoy stories. In fact, I'm listening to C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia right now. I found this new thing. You can actually listen to stories off your phone. (laughs) Amazing. And you can actually play it through the speaker system of your vehicle. Man, I've made a couple of trips up into Muskoka, and I've listened to the first one. The, um, uh, well, I'm which in the wardrobe, the second one. I've listened to that one. But the first one, say it again. Magician's nephew. Magician's nephew, yeah. And I'm listening to the horse and his boy right now. So, but I've read, I've read the Chronicles of Narnia years ago, but it's really fun listening to these stories and becoming more familiar with... Uh, we all love stories, don't we? And... Uh, A Jewish proverb says, God made people because he loves stories. Over half the Old Testament is story. In the Gospels and the the book of Acts and the New Testament are all story. The story I just read to you is based on 1 Samuel 16, and it's the story of Katon, the little guy, the runt, the eighth of seven sons, the oops. Right? Being the object of God's grace. And the story revolves around that that text that I've read a couple times to you now. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, which King Saul, by the way, had excelled in both. For I have rejected him, that is King Saul. The Lord does not look on the things that people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So as we think about this story, there are a number of things that we can think about. You know, I'm interested in the rejection of King Saul and why all that happened and how all that happened. I'm very interested in this little sidelight to the thing that where Samuel is told by God to take a calf in, in order that if Saul happened to find him on the way, he could simply say, I'm going to Bethlehem to offer a sacrifice. Kind of a camouflage, right? Interesting little ethical thing going on there. We could talk about that, but that's another day, another conversation. 
I'm interested in the response of Jesse, uh, the traditionalist, right? Now having to deal with his eighth of seven sons, the Katon, now being anointed as king. That had to rock his world a little bit. And then I think about the seven rejected brothers. Oh, my goodness. Now seeing their kid brother anointed as their king. So we can think about these things. We can talk about these things. These are things that are interesting to think about. But in fact, I'm much more interested in the core theology and the core reality of why this story was written. And any story in the Bible, or any text in the Bible for that matter, is written. And the Bible answers three questions and three questions only. And the three questions are, for those of you who are in my Old Testament class, you should know this. Who is God? Who are the people of God? And what is the world? The Bible revolves around those three questions. What are we learning about God? What are we learning about the world? And what are we learning about the people of God, whether Israel or the church? We call this doing theology. The biblical authors, the storytellers, were theologians. And these three things were the critical issues they were addressing as theologians. So our task is, in fact, to explore those three questions. So here we go. What are we learning about God from this story? And there are several things. I'm going to just very quickly uh, identify a few of them. What are we learning about God? How is God the hero of this story? It's really the question we're asking. And the first thing we th- find from God is he loves to choose the little guy. He loves to work with the marginalized. He loves to work with the katon. We're reminded of Paul's words, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. He loves to choose the unnoticed. Second, we learn that God will, in fact, reject the powerful when they take on their own power. We see the powerful falling and failing all around us, and unfortunately, we're seeing it far too often in the church. Third, we find out that God looks at the heart, not the external. And the beauty of this is something that I have learned is there's nothing to fear in the nearness of God. All we got to do is read Psalm 139 to get that one. And then fourth, what I often, often find so fascinating, God loves to break the normal patterns of how we think. He loves to engage in what I call breakouts. The norm was that the eldest should rule, and that was right, rightly so. But David was chosen over his seven brothers. God loves to upset the status quo. It's a cool thing. So that's what we learn about God. What do we learn about the world? Well, the world is interested in the externals, the good looks, the power, the position, the personality. Saul was the people's choice, a king like the other nations. The world is interested in the externals. And when we start embracing those realities, we we are succumbing to the values of a world that is not God's kingdom. Second, The world thinks that it can go against God's moral and ethical will and succeed. Saul found that out. 
God had told him what he was supposed to do. He rejected that. He went against it. He thought he could get away with it. He didn't. And just as a sidelight in light of contemporary issues that are going on today, let me say this. We have a man in the world right now who is engaged in a, in a horrific attack on a nation, on a people, which includes God's people. In violation of God's moral and ethical will, even though he may or may not know what God's moral and ethical will is all about. I'm suspicious he does, but he's a tyrant. And Mr. Putin is doomed, either in this world or the next, to face the justice of God for his violation of the moral and ethical will of God. And we can count on that, whether it's in this world or the next. But the world thinks it can get away with it. And we learn from Scripture that it can't. But what do we learn about ourselves? And this is the third question that we often ask, or we need to ask, of any biblical text. And here is one. I just want to spend a couple minutes on this one as we begin our semester, as I address you, faculty, students, staff, as I address all of you at the beginning of the semester, and just to say this, we're all different, and we're all valuable. We're all different, and we're all valuable. There'll be a few of us who will emerge as leaders among us, among the students, among the faculty, among the staff, but most of us will work diligently and simply be part of the community called heritage. That's where most of us will be. A few of us will receive awards or special notices at the end of the, end of the semester or perhaps at other times. Again, a few of us will receive these awards and this kind of thing at the end of the semester, students, faculty, staff, most of us will do our work, our studies, our teaching and our writing well, and will simply enjoy the rewards of hard work well done. But here's, where it, here's what impacts all of us. First, it is our hearts that God sees. So yes, guard our hearts, but the nearness of God is nothing to fear. But it is our hearts that God sees. Psalm 139. Read it and be blessed and encouraged. But second, and perhaps most important for our purposes this morning, we can all have great confidence in who we are and what we have to offer in the service of God. Whether we're in prominence as a leader or whether we are part of the unnoticed, just part of the community. This may surprise some of you, but I went through seminary basically unnoticed. I won no awards. I received no accolades. I was an average student at best that worked really hard to get what I needed to get. I, gra I quietly graduated without hardly anybody knowing my name. And that's what I was shooting for, by the way. And I remember one of my profs come by one day. I was working on my thesis up in the library, and I came back my, by my carol where I was working. And he said to me, Mr. Barker, you were always a sleeper, weren't you? You always stayed below the horizon, 
Yeah, I didn't want to be noticed. But the point is, we all have a place in God's kingdom. And in many ways, I was an unnoticed student that God has used in some very, very powerful ways and hopefully in your life. And every one of us in this room and in this, in this institution has value to receive and add to what heritage is all about. And as we look to a new semester, most of us here are ongoing students, faculty, and staff. There may be a few new students here today. But I want to make this point and make it very clear. Rooted in this story, in the story of the Katon, God looking on the heart, we all have a place, a value, a purpose in God's work here in this place, even the most Katon among us. Perhaps one more thing, and I think another lesson that comes out of this for us, who are we as a people of God, we need to be careful in who we choose as our leaders. Is it charisma, power, personality, or is it a heart turned towards God? One final note. The theme of this story captures the theme that is actually everywhere in Scripture, and actually we sang about it just a few moments ago. And it's captured most powerfully in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, a katon, born in humility, lived in obscurity in a place called Galilee, and died on a symbol of shame and weakness. The one who did not grasp after power and fame, but took on the form of a servant, but whom God highly exalted so that at his, knee, at his name, every knee would bow. All beginning with Paul's words, let this mind be in you as it was in Christ Jesus. So I trust that each of us will reflect deeply on this story. And I would encourage you maybe sometime today or sometime uh, this week to find a place and a time to read 1 Samuel 16 on your own. And ask the Spirit of God to make the impact that we need in our lives, both as an encouragement and as a challenge. Please stand as we are dismissed. We end our thoughts one more time with the pivot point of this whole story. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look on the outward appearance, for the Lord looks on the heart. God bless you all. Go in peace. Lunch awaits. (laughs) 